Scott Hanley has worn many hats throughout his decades of life. His role as a single father, committed to raising healthy, inquisitive, energetic boys, has been the most challenging, he says, but it's also been the most rewarding. One of the hats he wears is as the author of The Dad Connection, A Bridge to Your Children. Here he outlines his determination to build good relationships with his two sons. He recognized love and respect would be the simple base upon which he would build those relationships. This guide showcases the understanding that love, respect, patience, energy, perspective, service, and trust parents and grandparents need to build strong and deeply loving relationships with the children in their lives. It is a life-altering lens through which to see, understand, and love the relationships you have been blessed to receive. Welcome, Scott, to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. Tell us about you and your boys and how this book came to be. This book was an accident waiting to happen. At the time I wrote this book, I was working in Cambridge as a contractor, and some of my commutes were relatively long. And one morning, I found myself talking to myself in my truck as I'm going to work about the previous weekend and experience that I had had with my boys. And by the end of my commute, I felt different about the whole experience. And I said, I think I learned something, but I'm just there by myself in the truck. By some accidental happenstance, I'm downstairs in the basement the next day and I find this old tape recorder that has a microphone attached to it and an empty tape in it. So I said, I'm just going to put this in my truck and talk into it. I started doing that and I did that for about three years. In the end, I had 13 of these fairly good sized cassettes, both sides, 90 minutes filled full of me just yakking. I put them in a shoebox, and later, when I had already moved to Portland, Oregon, I found them again. And I said, just what am I going to do with these? I said, the boys may want to listen to these at some point. I started to listen to them, Carolyn, and I couldn't make sense of them. <laughs> That's how rambling they were. So I decided maybe I should try to organize them in some kind of writing. And a good friend of mine said, I will transcribe these for you as a birthday present and you can see if you got anything that's how it started that was a fabulous birthday present wasn't it though i couldn't have done it obviously and i wouldn't have understood even do to do it but she knew me really well she knew my language it was pretty easy for her to do it and she did that for a living give us a little insight into what you learned about yourself what was interesting is since there was no feedback i Whatever I said, I sort of then reset it to myself while I'm driving and trying to understand what it was I was learning. I, I knew I was learning something. I just didn't quite know what it was. And so as the days rolled on and the tape recordings rolled on, I started to understand that if I could articulate what I had felt that previous experience with my boys and try to actually find the words to describe how I was managing it and thinking about it and and my sort of building a philosophy about how to be a dad, uh, I just started to, to figure out a, a way to do it that suited me. And it wasn't at all a model of my parents. It was basically 
on the job training and creating as I went. And the discussion with myself in the truck and the tape recorder helped me really clarify that. That's really interesting. And so what were some of the things that you came to embrace? I think one of the main things that I learned from that experience, Carolyn, was that the relationship that I was having with my two boys was something that I had the responsibility to build. Literally, after every one of these sort of talks to myself, I could see something in there that that, that I understood it was my responsibility to to do this and my responsibility to act this way and my responsibility to behave in a way that represented, you know, kind of what I wanted to be, which was a, was a, a caring and thoughtful and awake parent. So what was some of your advice? To myself? Yes. <laughs> which is really what it was at the time. Um, I started to think about some of the aspects that I wanted to repeat on a regular basis and and live by in this relationship with them. And I started to think that, you know, I'm building a relationship. I'm actually building a relationship. And this is what I did for a living. I built buildings and I built projects. So I said, let's find in my way, in my life, what are the main supports that I want to have in this relationship? What am I gonna use to strengthen this relationship and build it in such a way that it was, I wanted it to be a very strong relationship as we, when we became adults. So I started thinking, well, I think being honest is a really important thing between them. And so that, that came up many times. I could find experiences that that was really important to do. Uh, respect for my kids was something I felt I had to just have. I needed to just put that in my mind that I'm going to respect these two little squirts no matter what they do or how they behave, because first of all, that's who they are. They're just young humans. So love and kindness and regard and tolerance and patience, all these things started to enter my thought process and I could start to articulate them and start to specify them in my interaction with them. Know when I needed to express more patience, more tolerance. Feel when I had to spend a little more energy feeling just love for them. Trying to be part of their life without engineering it and managing it. Uh, these are all aspects of experiences that I sort of cataloged. That's really interesting. You talk about your, well, the title of your book is The Dad Connection, A Bridge to Your Children. So what are some of the lessons that are in the book that you learned and then turned into advice for parents and grandparents? I think the single biggest lesson, and it's a, it's a sort of an overview of what I ultimately came to understand about the parent relationship. Now I had two strong-willed boys and I was a dad a male, and I was active myself uh, athletically and everything else. Uh, I felt that the, the main thing I had to represent was a, a, a sort of a consistent uh, feeling about my commitment to really want to love them and care for them. I didn't want that to be disturbed in any way. So all of these things that do get in the way of that, I would always try to find a way to funnel them back into that one aspect of just remember is this is a simple process. Just treat them like 
like people, not like adults, but treat them like carefully, treat them with a lot of regard. And once I started thinking like that, I also then quickly realized that this was really on me, that this was a, for the most part, one way road, that it was my job as the parent to build this relationship. And that's why the subtitle for the book is Building the Relationship, because that's really where it was. Piece by piece, support by support, and by support, I mean these elements I had just mentioned of, of trusting them, having a lot of tolerance and patience and energy. And I sort of grabbed eight or so of these supports that I used the most, and then I, the book is about how I used some of those supports in specific situations. And in part, Carolyn, because I was writing this as this was happening, that was really fresh in my memory. And the event just happened the night before where, you know, I either did or did not practice patience very well. So that's kind of what I learned from it in, the, in a nutshell is that I, it was my job to build this relationship. Now, your boys were little. You have a picture of, of you with <laughs> them on the website. They look to be about four or five years old. That picture is that, yeah. And then uh, the, the book really starts out when they are, my youngest is six, my oldest is eight, and it goes to when they're 12 and 14. And how old are they now? 38 and 40. <laughs> so did they, did they listen to the tapes or have they read the book? And if so, what has been their response? The tapes were not really listenable. Uh, but they have read the book a couple times. They actually write in the book. When I finished it, I said, I'm writing this book about my experience with you guys, and I want you to comment on it if you want to. And in, I think there are four or five letters from the boys about me and about what the book is about. I thought it's, it's really interesting, their perspective. Do you mind sharing some of, of what's in the book, what they've written to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, mostly it's about how much they appreciate the the, the sort of uh, my mindset to not just make them into something, but to allow them to be made into what they want to be made into. Now, and a lot of that seems to be in their writings. Now, are you a grandparent now? I am not, and I'm surprised I'm not. <laughs> I was, I was curious as to, you know, you, you talk about the care, the perspective, the energy that needs to go into this relationship, raising children, but this is really important for all relationships, whether it's work or family or friends. And I was just wondering how this applies to parents with adult children and then parents with their grandchildren. I know. And I was thinking a lot about that this week in preparation for this interview, because I don't have direct experience of that, but I, I have the experience of my grandparents and I didn't have a much of a connection to them because not much was forged by my parents to them because they had a very poor relationship. But I can certainly see how many of the skills and practices that I developed and created with my boys and with my commitment to, to being their dad would help me, would have helped me a lot to, to 
connect to my grandparents and sort of treat them in the same way, Carolyn. Like, in fact, I think I write in my book at some point, um, you know, it, we, the world might be a whole lot better place if we tried to treat everybody, our friends and our family as if they were our children. If, if we had that much care about it. So I think that if, I think somebody could read this book and realize that they could actually build a relationship with their parents in order to sort of keep a bridge alive for their kids to play with their mom and dad. It's hard to put the, the three generations all in one sentence and not get confused, but I, the reality is, is that I think the responsibility of building these relationships belongs to the person who wants to build it. And then the other people will likely respond. And I, I, you know, when, you, when somebody becomes a grandparent, they have a slightly different process by which they relate. And when that, it happens because now their kids are having kids. So lots of things change in the nature of that relationship. And that's a great opportunity for the children of the parents to rebind, rebound, reconnect to their parents in a different way. And to me, it's a kind of a cool opportunity. The metaphor of the bridge, I think, is so important. You write that in the beginning, it's a one-way bridge with your young children, but as they grow older, it's a two-way bridge. And I interpreted that as they also have a responsibility to you. And to me, in the grandparenting situation, I think if you have a strong parent-child relationship to begin with, that fosters a good grandparent-grandchild relationship. And that's the importance of that two-way bridge is that the parent, the grandparent needs to understand that it's not that one-way bridge to the child anymore, that there really is a two-way bridge and we need to respect the children raising their own children. But at the same time, it's a loving relationship because you have built that strong bridge metaphor to begin with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think you've got it captured it beautifully. Uh, the, the dynamic between the grandparent and the grandchild is can be significantly different than the dynamic between the parent and the child. And that's okay. Uh, as long as the, the grandparent truly does re have regard for and does respect their children. And that type of dynamic is really what our the grandkids are going to pick up. on. Absolutely. And so I think there's a bridge to be built for many people to their parents that could be different and better. And that may be catalyzed by having children and bringing and inviting their grandparents in to the process and the exchange between their kids and them. That'd be, that's a wonderful, beautiful concept. And, you know, there's a lot of talk out there these days about intentional communities. And that's part of what I think is trying to be represented is how to be inclusive with three generations, for instance. How do you do that? I think it takes work and it takes desire, number one, and a certain amount of focus on caring for the other person. It's pretty easy, it seems like, for grandparents to care for the grandchildren. It seems like a pretty natural 
desirous connection. And there's not a whole lot of complication in that for the grandparents as it is for the parents. But if we separate all that and we're just trying to build a relationship with th the three of us, I think that can be a really beautiful exchange. I agree. And I hope that when you become a grandparent, you'll give us volume two of your book. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about a, that a lick until this week when I was think, talk, you know, thinking about this interview and how important and how valuable grandparents are if they are genuinely incorporated and if they're invited. It is a beautiful relationship. And who has to do the inviting, Carolyn? It's the, it's the son or the daughter. It can't be the grandparents inviting themselves in, and it might be the grandkids inviting the, the grandparents, but it is a much more wonderful experience when the kids invite their parents into the process. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's somewhat, you said it more eloquently than I feel I conveyed it, but the grandparents take a back seat because the, the child the now the parent of the grandchild is the important person in that relationship. And the grandparents need to respect that they are the decision makers and respect the way they're parenting their child. It may be different from how they did when their, their children were babies, but grandparents need to remember they are the ones, the children are the ones who have the responsibility just as they did 30, 40 years earlier. So, and again, I go back to your bridge metaphor. If, if there has been that caring and kindness and respect and love and trust between the grandparent and the child, I would think it naturally is going to evolve into a wonderful bridge for all three generations. Yes, and I think it's almost exclusively dependent on the, the son or the daughter to invite the grandparent in. So, you know, un unfortunately, that doesn't happen readily, and it doesn't happen right away. And it's because there's still lingering challenges between the, 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 the son and the, and the, and the dad or the, or the mother and the mother, you know, that are not quite resolved or fixed. But well, I, I would think when kids enter the situation that those things are there must be some serious motivation to fix those issues. So these grandparents can be brought in. It really depends upon how serious the, the breakdown in communication is between the parent and the child and the adult yeah. child, because sometimes <clears throat> I've talked with parents and read about situations where it is so heartbreaking that a minor disagreement has blossomed into a real thorn that, just seems insurmountable, but I believe that following advice in your book can help bridge that, that it can help start to heal whatever was broken. And to me, a new life is certainly a good reason to rebuild that bridge. Oh, and the opportunity is fantastic. I, I think I agree too. I, I had never thought about this book being a, a possible uh, avenue for parents to reach out to their grandparents, but I think it could be. The same kind of principles and practices that we use to, to bond to our kids with love and care are, are very 
applicable to the possibility of doing the same thing with our grandparents. We just have to start our, start from a different place and maybe build a whole new bridge, but we can. Right. You don't want to burn it down. You just want to fortify it. <laughs> yes. If, you, if, you, if there's one there, uh, right. then, you know, yeah, make it better. Yes. That's what this book is about. It's about the techniques that I learned to make this sort of bridge really, really work for me. And the boys respect it. They, they get it. And the, the, the opportunity that they had, they have deep appreciation for. And the opportunity was really because I was fortunate enough to start to learn how to do this, um, you know, in a, in a, in an environment in which the, I didn't know what to do, so I was really open to the possibility of learning. I wasn't sort of patterned already. I appreciate that you were able to talk about your feelings and then reflect on those feelings and put your son's well-being first. And that's not to say that you didn't, you weren't concerned about your own mental health or whatever, but your focus was what is best for my sons and not a lot of people are mature enough to be able to do that especially as a single dad complicates it even more it makes it part of it harder a little bit of it is a little easier because the, the there's only one person making the decisions um i truly wished i had had a partner through that whole process but i didn't and i did the best i could without that. Um, and I knew I had to rely on personal feelings that I could really own, really own. And once I owned them, I delivered it because I, that it just, to me, it's the honesty that I have built with my boys is based on that. So what were the three main rules that you used when you were raising your sons? <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit funny. Um, and I don't say everybody should do it this way by any means, but I felt strong enough in my relationship with those boys that I could simplify the rules because the you know, rules don't necessarily get in the way, but they can certainly b blind us to something that's really happening, right? So I, I really minimized the amount of rules that they had to do. The, the, and I tried to make them much more important to living life rather than just experiencing. And so the three rules were one, they could not hurt each other. Remember, I have two strong boys. They're both athletes and they, they are going to be active. Number one rule, they couldn't hurt each other. Number two rule, they couldn't hurt anybody else, physically or emotionally. And I stress the emotion. They understood what I said. And then I found all kinds of ways to express that when they were little and, sh and show them because they're both big and strong, the bigger and stronger than I am. The third rule is they can't damage any property on purpose. And I, that last two words are important. Right. They can't damage any property on purpose. I know they were going to. I mean, that just happens, right? They're boys. Um, but, they're, well, and girls too, you know, they, they can do some damage. So, you know, if they, like, decided to go paint on somebody's wall. That, that's not an accident, right? That's something that should be dealt with. But I kept those rules really, really there. And I said, look, if you guys do this, you can have some serious freedoms. You can stay out, be out, stay up, go to do what you want to do. Oh, sorry. There's the other rule 
was that they had to get grades in school that were commensurate with their intellectual ability. That was not hard to ascertain. Right. Those are they worked. They they kept my life a lot simpler. Carolyn, I didn't have to police. I wasn't a policeman, which can really get in the way of a connection. Try it sometime. Try to monitor these little wild guys on every little thing, right? Don't leave your shoes here. No, no, your coat goes over there. I can do that all day long, right? And then I would, that's all I'd be is some kind of policeman. So I decided that I wasn't going to do that. To this day, they'll talk about those three rules. With your job in construction, that meant that the boys had a lot of time by themselves or under the care of a, a babysitter or a nanny. So how well did they respect those rules? Pretty well. I mean, there was only maybe, I can think of three times that I had to uh, ground them or do something to, to, to reflect the commitment I had to those rules. But the other thing, Carolyn, is that I chose this contracting work so that I indeed could be home uh, in the late afternoons, early afternoons to get them from school and take them. And since I just, and I owned my own company, so I could show up a little late at the project and leave early, let the boys clean up, guys clean up. I, I was home almost every time they were home in the morning and the afternoon. I made a, a point to that. That's another thing I talk about in the book a little bit about. That's a luxury if one can organize their life to do that, but I understand most people can't. Yes, I just assumed that you were gone a lot, you know, early morning hours and late, late hours coming home, but that's fabulous that you could arrange your schedule. Now, how did this work in the teen years? Oh, it's fantastic in the teen years. I've, actually, my second book is going to be, I might call it something like Treading Water, where when they become teenagers, that's what we're doing. You know, we're no longer holding them up in the, on their life jacket, getting them across the pool. You're just sort of treading water to see if they're, they're going to survive. And um, the teenage years, I had this bridge so well constructed that I didn't really have to hardly say anything to them. I would either give them a look or I'd say something like, you know, that's not going to work. And they would just shift. They would just shift. It's not that I had control over them, uh, not at all, because it was that they they knew I would do what I said I was going to do. No matter what I said I was going to do, I would do it. So they didn't want to challenge that very often. I know, funny, isn't it? And I wasn't trying to set up an intimidating environment whatsoever. It was all done with a great deal of care for them and who they were. But uh, I did want to maintain certain things as you know kind of sort of unconditional which is these three rules and you need to do what i tell you if i tell you and i rarely told them what to do but when i did they did it well it 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 appears to me that you had strong boundaries and the boys knew that you weren't going to waver on those boundaries and they respected that and they respected you and that's a great relationship Part of the reason that was so successful, Karen, is I didn't set these boundaries very narrow. You know, I, I, I tried to negotiate them with some of the boundaries, like we're talking teenage years now, about how late to stay up, what they can do, where they can go in the city, where they can't go. I said, does that work for you? And I'll tell you why I think it's right. And they'll say, well, I, no, that doesn't work for me because my other really good friend lives way over there. I, so then we negotiated, basically, and find something that, represented uh, a reasonability and a 
reality of, of what's physically possible for me since I was a single dad. I had limits too, which they genuinely regarded. So I, I think the thing there was that their willingness to, to ex- respect my borders, like you said, was really, really helpful. But I also didn't limit them very, I didn't put many, uh, uh, what's the word you use? Boundaries for them. I really have a great deal of respect for you because it is obvious that your communication skills with your children are exemplary because they felt comfortable saying to you, that doesn't work for me and here's why. And you were open to listening to them and then negotiating. And that is not something that we see in every parent-child relationship, especially in the teen years. I know. And I was so grateful that I had had this, you know, this, I call the the eight to 14 years old or eight to 13, the sweet spot in our children, because it really is. They start waking up at eight or nine and start looking around and seeing things and trying to find their own words and feelings. And that was beautiful to watch. And then by 13 or 14, they're starting to, settle in on specifics and I mean, it, it, it's a little harder and the sweetness goes away a little bit because the innocence is going and that's fleeting it goes really fast so that little sweet spot between eight and 12 is to me beautiful that's what I write the book about I got lucky because I was able to be in their life in a really uh, simple and nice and caring way what were some of the activities that you enjoyed doing with your sons Oh my gosh, almost everything, Carolyn. There wasn't, because they were active boys, right? Um, my older boy loved music a lot and I loved music too. So we would do things together with, with regard to music. Uh, but primarily, I think we probably just shared a lot of activity athletics. We'd do everything from bowling to football. To, and, you know, when they got a little bit bigger as teenagers, I could play with them. In, in a semi-competitive way, which is also a great building exercise. And we could do that because we had such a good and quality relationship when they were young. That's really nice to hear. Your older son is into music. Did you play instruments together? Did you listen? Did you go to concerts? What did that look like? We went to concerts and I listened to the music he listened to a lot and tried to, to really experience it from his point of view and find the qualities in it that he was trying to relate to, even though I may not have liked it very much, but that's where he was. And that's what he wanted to do. And he loved it very much. He also loved the things like his favorite sport was probably basketball. So, and I liked it and I played it. That gave us a bonding spot. It's a little different. You know, I didn't have girls. I don't know how that would have worked out. I often wonder. (laughs) And I've been the same kind of parent I was for my boys, how that would have worked out for her. I mean, maybe I'd have modified that a little bit. I don't know. You know, nowadays it's pretty much, an, it's a lot more equality in the, the way we treat the, a male and a female. Tell me about your younger son. What did he enjoy doing? He was really social guy. <laughs> he had lots of friends. So when we were, uh, he, he had this one buddy in the first grade who was coming directly from Taiwan and couldn't speak much English. And he was a little guy and Max was the biggest guy in his class. So Max is my younger son. And so he sort of took him on as his, his project. And by the end of the year, the little boy was living with us. 
So almost for that first five years of between eight and 13, this boy named Alan Chin was our third son, my third son, so to speak. So, and that's because Max wanted that. And Max shared his room with him and did everything. So I just supported that. Oh, that's wonderful. It was kind of cool. And so Max was social. He had lots of friends. He was big for his age. He played football in college. So he had that kind of force, you know, just physical force, but sweet and nice guy. So without divulging and violating their privacy, how did the boys turn out? What do they do now? Um, Max, they both graduated from college. Max graduated with a degree in history from a small college in in California called Occidental. My other son, older son, graduated with a degree in theater from University of Oregon. And he's, you know, he's, he's trying to make that a living, but it's hard. And my other boy is eventually got into the, uh, uh, he, he is an upper level management in a car dealership. He wanted to be in the restaurant business. That's what he really wanted to be. But it, at the time he wanted to be in it, there was a lot of hard financial challenges to be in it and he couldn't do it. Well, didn't I read that you had been in the restaurant business at one time? I was at a very high active level. And then I had these boys oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I just couldn't, there were too many times when they were, before they were age four, there were too many times I had come home way too late and they were asleep and I just couldn't do it. I, I said, this is, this is not, I can't do this. It's not right. It's, it's, it's not responsible. If I had these boys. I need to take care of them. What I didn't really know then at the time, Carol, that it was going to be a, a lifetime process or at least 20 years. I thought I will change my life a little bit to be with these boys for a while. And then I'll go out and build my life again. Well, I didn't have to go out and build my life again. I was happy to build my life with them and around them all through it. So the change was in the beginning, kind of a compromise and kind of a sacrifice because I was quite successful in the restaurant business, but I just knew I couldn't do both one or the other. And I picked being a dad. That's really, it doesn't make me, that doesn't make me anything. It just means that was my choice, right? It could have been the other way and might've worked out fine. I don't know. When I was graduating from high school and going to college and getting married and raising a family is when the women's liberation movement started. And I had decided when my children were little that I was going to be a stay at home mom. And a lot of women and even today a lot of women are criticized if they want to stay home with their children and there are some stay-at-home dads and i've heard from some of them that they are criticized because they're a stay-at-home dad that we have become such a career-driven society that if you don't have a career outside your home people will look down on that So the fact that you were willing to adjust your career goals for your children, to me, is admirable. I think uh, that that gets a little bit misrepresented as something is, was as much for my benefit as them. You know, I knew that I needed this. I knew that I needed to make a commitment that was going to really deepen me. Now, I don't know how I knew this, Carolyn. I don't really, but I did know it. I felt it and I was it was not a hard decision and it wasn't a decision that was altruistic. It wasn't just to be 
I didn't sacrifice my life for these boys. I enriched my life through this decision. And I got, I figured that out pretty quickly. It became a fantastic experience. Fantastic. And my life was great. I mean, it turned out great. And I didn't, I still love the restaurant business. I'm not in it. And I had uh, the construction business served me beautifully when they were teenagers because I could put them to work and do stuff and work (laughs) with them. It was great. I was wondering if they helped in the construction field when they were teenagers. Oh yeah. They loved it. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't care if it even got paid. Let's wrap up by saying what advice do you have that we haven't already discussed that you think parents and grandparents really need to own and embrace to have these wonderful relationships with the little ones who may also be big ones by now? It's a fantastic question, and I'll try to make it fairly simple. The hardest thing I think for many relationships to do is let go of the familiar familiarity. And even though it's a good thing to have, it can really allow people to stop really having that much regard for the other person. That goes all through those three generations. Familiarity is, isn't there a phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Is is that a phrase that I'm remembering? Uh, Yes. Yeah. So, and that's true. And I'm sad about that because for me, it did the other, other thing. It, it bred enriching, it bred closeness, it, it bred comfort. So I would say, whether you're talking to your parent or you're talking to your child, to talk, to listen, and to feel and emote if you have to, especially for the men. The mothers have a little easier time at this. I know that. Um, because in two, two reasons, I think the child treats the mother a little bit differently. And the mother, usually women have a, a little easier, you know, path to this. I think the men have to get, get their stuff together and just try to be as nice as they can be and be caring as they can be and, and look for ways to do it with our parents and with our children. Nice advice. If people want to buy your book and they want to get a hold of you, how did they do that? My website gets you everywhere, all connected. And is your book sold on your website or is it at other places? Mostly Amazon, I guess. Uh, there are the, the wholesale uh, books come out of Ingram, but I think that Amazon is the place for just normal people to get it. And what's your website address? It's a scotthanley.com or The Dad Connection, they wrap. One thing I want to add, Carolyn, is that this book is not a hard book to read. You know, I'm not a naturally born writer, so it's writes as if I'm talking because that's kind of how I did it. And it is not overlaid with lots of, I'm saying in that book, find a path, realize there's a bridge that has to be built, and then look for good ways to build it, things to put in the bridge that really feel good. I'm not saying this is the Bible by any means, because the, the whole idea of building a relationship with our kids is a challenging and complicated experience, but it can be wonderful. It can be full of great experiences if both parties, well, the kids are always going to be open to it. It's the parents who have to stay open to the experience <laughs> and really, you know, and accept it as that. Take the time to enjoy it and take the time to talk to each other about it. Take the time. I would often talk to my kids on the way to school or on the way to out of school about how much I love them 
just like that, out of nowhere, it would pop out because that's what I was feeling. You have a wonderful family. Yes, I do. Thank you. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.